Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. We burned 15 minutes of great, great content. Uh, That's what we that. do because we haven't talked in a while. Yeah. Hey, guess what? It's Bleacher Blums. You've got is this, Tuttle. Is this you've thing got on? Blummer. Yeah, it still works. And I actually have power. I have warmth. I have internet. It's it's a big day for Bleacher Blums because we had to take a hiatus because of the deep freeze that the state of Texas was in last week. Uh, and uh, my family, we are doing great. We suffered minimal issues. We lost power for 44 hours. And uh, we had uh, gas and water the entire time. So we were able to cook. We were able to fire up the gas fireplace. We created some warmth. Uh, Sleeping in 50 degree weather is not a very nice thing to do, uh, I found out. And then uh, my wife is actually a a dang genius because I don't know how you are or how many of these crises you've had to go through, which is probably none. But being down here in Texas, where you've got a temperamental uh, environment that we're dealing with, you know, I wasn't here for Hurricane Harvey. My wife had to deal with that by herself with the kids. And then I'm here for the deep freeze. And I mean, immediately as a dude, I was just like, turn this off. The mosquito mister's got to turn off. I got to turn off the pool equipment, the outdoor barbecue. I got to do this. I got to cover that. I got to do this and wrap up the outside. I have like, you know, six pairs of socks on pipes outside the house. You know, I'm insulating everything. And uh, fortunately, it worked out. So, uh, we, you know, knock on wood, we don't have any busted pipes, but uh, we're all good. Tuttle, how, how was your week away from me and not hearing a word from your well, co-host on Bleacher Blums? Yeah, you know, it was a little uh, little scary, right? Like the, the line went dead. And I yeah. thought, you know, a couple of things. I thought it might be the Bleacher Blum podcast, or I thought that, <laughs> you know, you guys didn't make it through. It's interesting to hear you say, um, you know, that it was not that you're all good, but hey, it was it worked out and it's fine because you live in a house with uh, with five women. And, you know, obviously your wife has handled it well. But I think sleeping in 50 degree weather is like guys are like, eh, you know, where's the where's the schnapps and uh, give me a blanket and <laughs> I'll, I can make it through one night or two nights. Yeah, of this. St. Bernard but, with the whiskey, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm but I'm assuming that, you know, now that you've seen the light and you made it through uh, and we haven't had a chance to catch up, um, you know, maybe it wasn't as easy for the entire household. But oh. I think I think what we learn is the creature comforts, man. I mean, I, I did grow up in Connecticut. At least I lived there for eight to 10 years and we'd had our power go out and I remember, you know, getting candles, you'd light the candles and walk around the house. I mean, I just haven't had that happen in so long. We do have rolling blackouts in California that, um, you know, you just forget how much, like just flip it on a light switch or, you know, (laughs) is so uh, the creature comforts spoil us just like living Mm -hmm. in warm weather spoils your thin blood, you're freezing when it gets below 50. I can only imagine sleeping in a house when it's 50, when you can't actually turn on the heat. So, um, you know, you guys came out okay. Most of Houston looks like they survived. And, uh, and you know, the people, I guess, that benefit the most out of this entire thing are the plumbers. Oh, so, uh, so you know, we're back on. And, uh, you know, we did take a hiatus, but we have plenty of information to share with everybody. So uh, we're, we're glad to be back. Yeah. Right? Glad to be back. And, you know, it's funny you talk about the creature comforts, because one of the things we noticed going two days without power uh, helped us learn how short days are like having sunlight for only 10 to 12 hours and then all of a sudden it's gone you're going holy crap man that day what happened to the day man it's only five six o'clock and there's no sun right now what the hell do we do and you start lighting up the candles and you're like all right we just had dinner so okay paul good night paul and you start going to bed you're like man that day went by in a hurry but now uh, you know how cow, cowboys survive, right? They go out dude, and feed the chickens and get the eggs at like yeah. five thirty in the morning. The sun's coming up at six o'clock. It's like let's eat dinner and like you mentioned, let's like have a sip a sip of whiskey and like sun's down. It's like got to get up and do it all over tomorrow. No yeah, TV, no. <laughs> it, it, was, it was really that was probably the funniest part about it is we understood that you know having power keeps us up a little bit later at night because of the entertainment, the lighting, and whatever it may be. But uh, we survived, and I know the city of Houston. Uh, 
you know, has grinded through this entire situation. But I don't think anybody could have anticipated having zero degree weather in, in the middle of Houston uh, when we know it can be 110 degrees in the middle of summer. So we're grateful to be back on. This is the Bleacher Blums podcast. I am Jeff Blum. I played baseball for 14 years in the major leagues. And my co-host, David Tuttle, is out there on the left coast, not in Houston like I am, enjoying that beautiful weather. And he played for about 10 years in, in minor league baseball, never got the opportunity, unfortunately, but still has great stories and great input on uh, things that we are talking about on this podcast. And we are also happy to be brought to you by World's Strongest Man CBD. And I like using that voice just because it sounds cool. And you can go to wsmcbd.com and, and get the finest CBD that you can get. And, and again, it's about performing at your peak. And it's also recovering and it's also getting you off those medications that you've become so reliant on. Go out there and find a great CBD like World's Strongest Man to help you get through all of that. But uh, some big news this week in, uh, in sports, and it really kind of happened in the last couple of days. Even though we've been on a two-week hiatus, I know that something massive happened uh, to the nut. And what's interesting about this story is that it happened to an individual in a sport that may be not, you know, 95% of the country or the world even watch, but it had an impact on the 100% of people who are in, involved in sport. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that Tiger Woods situation, if you've got any info on it? Oh, yeah. So I, I just, my thoughts were that I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be Drew Brees and or Justin Herbert with the opportunity to golf with, uh, with Tiger Woods. Yeah. It came out obviously the day later. Um, I do have some stuff to say about it and what'll Tuttle say, but, uh, you know, oh, I, dude, guess, I blew it. I'm pushing that right. back. No, that's all right. I, mean, I completely, gonna, I went off the rails right there, dude. That's why no, you no. need to go. Hey, no, no, it's cool. Uh, no, 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 no. I'll, sh I'll share most of what I have to say about it in what will Tuttle say, but I do. There was a Drew Brees. This is how I'm leading it up. This is how I'm setting yeah. it up. Teasing. All right. So <laughs> let me look at our little sheet over here. I don't have a sheet because we just fly off the cuff, but uh, I think we're going to talk about the Mariners president. Uh, yeah. or ex-president. Ex We're talking about the ex-presidents. Ex-presidents. Isn't that, isn't that Dude, point break? I am an FBI agent. There you go. So that's the topic, right? So ex-president. So you lead in with that, please, and then we'll get to what will Tuttle say because I got a All little right. I got a little lead no, in I completely that. boxed that. And that's what, you know, two weeks away from the gig and not understanding. <laughs> we actually talked about this in the green room before we came on air, man. Dude, so, don't, be so, don't be so hard on yourself. You're a yeah. tremendous slouch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> do you do drugs, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Okay, yeah. so the, the biggest story that I found out in the last week, the one that really kind of caught my eye, and it kind of goes to collective bargaining agreement with, the, with Major League Baseball coming up at the end of the 2021 season, everybody being in spring training, and, the, and another disastrous Zoom meeting where you have a club official for the Seattle Mariners. This guy's name is Kevin Mather. He's the president of the uh, Seattle Mariners. And he was doing a Zoom meeting with uh, shareholders or I don't know who it was. Rotary but, Club, actually. Rotary Club? I don't also, think that's important. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I'm serious. Yeah. Don't no call me shareholders. <laughs> yeah. No offense to the Rotary Club and their fine establishment but uh he was having a conversation and he was a little bit off the cuff and he started to talk a little they should actually there should be maybe there should be a breathalyzer on the zoom meetings before you get on these things because what came out of this guy's mouth sounded as if he was just had a couple of brewskis and was like i'm gonna give them some information they'll never hear anywhere else and yeah. man did that ever backfire because this guy yeah. got on for the seattle mariners who's a team who literally is on the uptick they've got some great young talent and he went on there and proceeded to bash Iwakuma, who's one of their pitchers, a, a left-handed pitcher who is from Japan and complained about paying the interpreter $75,000 a year to interpret for the Japanese pitcher. So, you know, that, that's an interesting quote. And then he took it a step further and talked about one of his Latin prospects and said, yeah, this guy is a phenomenal talent. We love this guy, but his, his English sucks. You can't do that. I don't no. care what profession you're in or where you're at, or if you have a friend or whoever it is, you don't, you say, I'm helping them with English, or we try to adapt and help them 
become more comfortable because you and I playing in the minor leagues, we understood how difficult it was for Latin American. Mostly I didn't play with too many Japanese or Korean or other guys in, uh, or Asian you know, ball players in, uh, minor league baseball until I got to uh, play in the Hawaiian winter league. We played with some Korean guys, but they, even there, they had a tough time, but watching young Latin players in a ball at the age of 16, 17, 18, as soon as they, they, they would point to menu items with us, or they'd ask us to order for them. I don't know how it was for you, but they would go, you know, KS and you'd go, okay, that's big Mac. So, I mean, dude, for the entire season, guess what that one guy ordered the entire time he went to McDonald's, a big Mac. I mean, Big it, Mac, it, baby. It was, yeah, it was frustrating, but, you know, they were trying to learn the English language. We were trying to teach them the English language, but at the same time, it kind of really, it, it really produced an opportunity for me to learn how to speak Spanish. So I, I know enough Spanish to get through the Dominican or get through Mexico on a visit, but damn, you are, you are paying these guys to make your ball club better and make people buy tickets to, to fill your pockets to watch these guys play and you're gonna you're gonna go to this language barrier man i i was blown away by that well i mean a couple of things to add there first of all one of my memories uh one of the lowest memories actually after playing a ball and then some double a was uh after i got traded um dave roberts who i brought up before and i've talked about this team we both got co-opt uh to visalia so we had a, a team that oh, had yeah some detroit tigers and it had some arizona diamondbacks when they were starting their organization um, and then it had a couple Korean pitchers come in and we had a translator that kind of drove with us all year long with two okay. guys. And we, I mean, the fun part about it, forget Big Mac was teaching those guys swear words and then oh, they yeah. could teach you swear oh, words. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, that was the most fun, but yeah, those guys were trying hard and my wife happens to be bilingual. And I will tell you this, anybody that's listening, it's really easy to make fun of somebody with an English accent or that struggles with their English, but you have to remember, guess what? They speak another language. They speak two yeah. languages. You speak one, right? Like, hello. So, I mean, these aren't necessarily um, fools, right? Or dumb people no, or, God, no. you know, people that aren't trying to assimilate. These are people that are really getting out of their comfort zone and that's not their area of expertise, right? Their area of expertise is to play baseball. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, very insensitive comments. I, I will, uh, concur with what you said specifically about having a breathalyzer on the zoom call and the other thing is <laughs> if you're going to say these things um i've been really critical you and i both about social media and twitter and somebody getting a snippet of something and just putting it out there and trying to railroad people and say hey like this guy look he's the president of the mariners yes he made a mistake by saying this and that but i mean he just continued he went on and on and on and on and if yeah, anybody that in that, that was just the beginning yeah, it, whoever invited him to that Rotary Club thing, it's kind of like at your brother's wedding, right? If you're, you know, or your brother's bachelor party, is he's getting out of hand, it's your job to grab him and say, all right, let's like, yeah. somebody could have muted the call, right? Like, hey, I realized oh, yeah. I invited the uh, president of the Mariners here. I mean, it must have been like watching a train wreck. Somebody's like, oh my God, is he, is he going to say that? Oh my God, he's still, all right, we're going to just push record. Yeah. So I, I do, as critical as I am of the media, I mean, there are some benefits in that if this guy really thought all of those things and he really believes kind of um, what he was saying, then um, then, you know, he needs to be uh, outed <laughs> and he needs <laughs> to not hold a position um, yeah. that he holds. I mean, I can think of Donald Sterling saying a couple of things that got him in trouble as well. But that's obviously to the core of who March they are. Shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. March. I, I mean, I was drafted the worst by the Cincinnati Reds when March Shot was the president. So, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, Mather also went on to to bury Kyle Seeger, who is basically one of the more noticeable guys on that team over the last seven years, I feel like, and uh, yeah. said he's overpaid. <laughs> and then he proceeded to let the let the cat out of the bag as far as club control. And this that was mean, the key point. That was the nail in the coffin as far as the Players Association is concerned. Forget all oh, the, the the racism and bigotry and whatever else he threw in there. Xenophobia, the whatever. Yeah, every phobia. And, yeah, I mean, and then he dropped the bomb of club control saying, yes, as a matter of fact, we do. And we actually are, we're controlling a, a young man in our organization. I think his last name is Kalenic, I think. 
and uh, he turned down a, a big league contract in the minor leagues because he was going to bet on himself, which you can't blame him for that. And they said, you know what? You turned us down. We're going to hold you back. And that's when he said, yes, we, we exercise club control in calling guys up and controlling that clock. And that, that was the clincher. That was the nail in that coffin that put him away. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is we all know it happens. And, you know, I hate to agree with Scott Boris on any topic, but Scott Boris brought up this very same point with Chris Bryant a couple of years ago, maybe two, three years ago before, maybe it was a little longer than that, but when Chris Bryant was the number one prospect in the minor leagues and he had had a fantastic spring training and a solid year, the year before, either in double A and triple A. And, you know, he wouldn't get, he never, he didn't break camp with the Cubs. And I think a month later, you know, maybe even sooner than they intended, they just wanted to make sure they were ready to bring him up. But I think, again, we realize it goes on. Yeah, we realize it goes on. And, uh, you know, just to have somebody say it at that level, you know, you know what kind of influence he has. You know, he talks to other presidents and, you know, and we know how That's payroll is. Yeah. So this is going to, I mean, and maybe this gives us a little insight into how what we were talking about before, whether it be storming the Capitol building and or how there's kind of a secret society. I mean, you got to think as we head into, you know, 2021 and beyond that we are getting to be more together and a little more, um, uh, I don't know, rowing the boat in the same direction in terms of everybody should get an equal opportunity. But again, each, each week, each month, each, you know, season, something happens where we're like, oh my God, like people like this are still, um, you know, I guess perpetrating and, you know, Mm-hmm. promoting ideas that just don't seem realistic. Yeah. And owner ownership is trying to create leverage going into a new collective bargaining agreement. And this guy blows the lid off collusion and blows off the lid on c- club control uh, that were supposedly conspiracies up until now. And now we know they're legit and the players union fired off a, you know, a, a reaction to this and basically blew them up saying we knew it. Now we have proof. And all that's going to do is just create more of a separation between ownership and player and give some of that leverage back to the player uh, when they get into that collective bargaining agreement uh, in December, when that thing is up and they have to negotiate for the upcoming years. But uh, yeah, that, that was disastrous. And somebody in that PR department is going to be wearing that one for a while. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I don't, it'd be hard to blame the PR guy. I mean, I realize when you, you bring up a, a great point though, there, I mean, there is control, like legitimately, as we're talking right now, I can press at least two buttons that would end this thing in a heartbeat. That's and right. I mean, how does somebody not like fall on the computer or dump a glass of water <laughs> on this thing and just, and, and he got tase him. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so again, you got to feel like it's not so far from the realm of who he is or what he was thinking. And so if you know that this is the kind of guy that's running your organization, he should have a handler, right? Like, Hey, you know, well, there usually is. I, I, I have physically, that's... I have actually done these things. And as you and I are talking, there's actually a square that says host. And if, you know, there's somebody within the organization who usually hosts these things yeah. that has ultimate control and just need to, yeah. you know, put the whammy on this dude, man. Yeah, he was he was off the reservation and uh, and flying flying by the seat of his pants or off the off the army base and they couldn't bring him back in. You know, he hit a scud. Hey, you know, we didn't we didn't uh, 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 what do they call those? Uh, uh, I I uh, hit a landmine, I guess. But I was trying to think of the yeah, he created his own land landmine. Yeah, um, you know, we didn't talk about this off air green room, uh, but. Uh, I forgot because since the last time we talked, um, Tatis Jr. signed that deal and we had continually talked about these contracts um, and some of the guys are not getting the contracts they expected. But I think like in any sport, there's that, you know, the cream of the crop. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I you can't even call this like a, I mean, I know it's an early deal. So maybe they feel like they're getting a discount or they just wanted the hometown kid. He's obviously going to be a... Um, a star. I mean, the scouts and you know, the yeah. numbers he's put up, he's fine, but man, you know, it's kind of the, the rich get richer. And then those other guys, right. It's like, Oh, <laughs> well, he just, he took our payroll. So, uh, no, you know, there's going to have you. to fill in some veteran guys around him, but that's the other thing that you worry about. I mean, the trout Tatis jr. But we were saying, I, we weren't sure what kind of contracts guys would get Springer included based on this off season, based on COVID based on the, you know, downturn of payroll 
And a week and a half later, after we had this conversation, like I said, the freeze kind of locked us out of this conversation, but man, $314 million. Do uh, you have any sort of thoughts on that? It's a lot of dope. Dude, well, the first, <laughs> now the, who would have thought the Padres would have two, three, over $300 million players on their, on their roster. You know, Manny Machado got his 300 million. Hosmer's getting broke off. And now you've got, uh, you know, you've got Fernando or yeah, Fernando Tatis Jr. Who I, I, I was surprised at the number, but I wasn't surprised that he got the contract. You know what I mean? Right. Because I feel like mm-hmm. in two or three years, we would be talking about Tatis Jr. getting a deal similar to what, you know, some of these big guys are because right. he's marketable. He's gorgeous. He's athletic. He's affable. I mean, he, he's great in the community. I mean, he, he does everything right. And he's somebody that you could latch onto for 14 years now that we hear at 340 million dollars that's right 314 i got the years and the money mixed up 340 so being a true californian that i am my immediate thought was hmm he's gonna get roughly 180 million of that (laughs) i knew it taxes (laughs) i was like dang bro i'm like congrats on the 340 you're gonna be paying about 120 million and you know in taxes on that thing so that's right we need a flat tax. Let me, uh, let me, let's figure out where Fertin, Fernando Tatis Sr. lives and say maybe he's got a house in Florida or a house in somewhere else, right? Because, yep. you, I mean, you do not want to be doing that. I, I think we talked about this way back when podcast, but when uh, uh, Derek Carr got his deal uh, with the Raiders, they were in Oakland, but then they moved to Las Vegas and they talked about the way his deal was backloaded. So he had two years in Oakland on that six-year deal and then the four years in Nevada it's like they're like just by the team moving to Nevada forget the contract it's like he's got more money going into the bank you know it's interesting you brought up Hosmer and um, Machado because you know you're looking at 340 300 and 150 let's say I don't remember Hosmer Mm -hmm. might be less than that but you know you're looking at like 700 700 to 750 million dollars total contracts yeah Yeah. I mean you're with three guys a billion dollars in contracts yeah, three guys. And how about the guy? Now we go back to the president saying that uh, Seager's getting paid too much up in Seattle. It's like their whole <laughs> payroll is like half, you know, a, a third of those three guys. Isn't that crazy? It's so wild. And I, I think it's awesome. I think the Padres are giving a good push. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see spring training and seeing guys out there in the sun running around and having an absolute yeah. blast. Uh, I can't wait to start calling some games because my wife has been working and I've been Mr. Mom for the last like damn six months seven months yeah. now you like you mr know? mom and when yeah. when it's 50 degrees in the house that adds a degree of difficulty that you didn't I, attend yeah some challenges i wasn't anticipating but I, you know i passed that test and I you're made a texting roast. you're texting your wife honey it's 50 degrees in the house honey there's no power like you're working <laughs> like for this no yeah I mean, I, I can make a pot roast now. I know that boiling oh, water nice. gives off humidity in the house when you have no power <laughs> and creates water. a little bit of warmth. Uh, you know, there's all kinds. Of, my skill set is expanding as we speak. But uh, as you know, when you're, if you watch the Bleacher Blums podcast, you know that uh, Tuttle and I are very active. Not only are we ex-athletes, we are also, in our own minds, maybe current athletes. And uh, there was actually some uh, athletic clothing that I got, uh, I found out about through my wife about four or five years ago called Fabletics. And Fabletics has jumped on the Bleacher Bums podcast. We are happy to have them with us. And just to give you a little insight, they are very similar to a lot of the athletic clothing brands that you hear about, just at a little bit better price. Uh, I have worn their shorts. And as you know, I'm big cyclist now. I like to go cycling in my room on my Peloton and you know, their shorts have been incredibly good. They're durable. They have the interior lining so you can keep, well, I can keep my junk covered up and in place and not on my phone. And uh, we can, uh, you know, work out and the moisture wicking is great. The durability is great. And also they've got some great prints and great styles that uh, you all can work with. And the other thing that's really great about Fabletics too, and I talked about the price is they have a VIP membership and you can go in there and get 20 to 50% off uh, monthly purchases and if you do join that group and you don't see anything you want or you're good on all the clothing, go ahead and skip that month and move on. But make sure you go to fabletics.com. Yes, they have stuff for dudes like me and Tuttle. You know, the Fabletic shorts, I do. I had a pair, same thing via my wife. And uh, like I said, I like the, the liner is great. But, you know, I'm, I'm working out five days a week, man. And you're that intense. budget, you're a if you get too, man. 
Yeah. But if you get, you know, if you get uh, an expensive habit, you know, and you need five to 10 <laughs> outfits, I mean, it's like Fabletics is the place to go. So I do, I agree with you. I like the liner, the moisture wicking, uh, the length of the short is good. I'm a tall, skinny guy. Um, you know, they're not too long, not too short. So again, just, uh, just like you said, you know, get in the Fabletics, get on the Fabletics train, I guess. And, uh, hopefully there'll be a sponsor of the Bleacher Blums podcast for a long time to come. That'll be great. We appreciate having Fabletics on here again, fabletics.com. And all that being said, it just leads us right into something that I hinted at a long time ago, earlier in the podcast. And of course we all love it when Tuttle speaks up and there it is. We don't have to hold up the piece of paper. He's got his own damn T-shirt now. What'll Tuttle say? What'll Tuttle say? You know what? I lost my phone. It had some notes in it, and I have no idea where it is. It's probably like attached to Didn't me somewhere. You just but on it? I thought you just stepped on it. Oh, did I? I was looking for it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I probably threw it away. Thankfully. Um, <laughs> anyway, I leaned it up against something, and maybe it fell. But uh, it really doesn't matter because I know what I'm going to say today. And and this is not grouchy old man as much as uh, it used to be, but um, this I think uh, I think it's really interesting. We You hinted at the Tiger Woods accident. I was talking about Drew Brees and Justin Herbert, uh, and that he was going to go uh, golf with them and then film some uh, golf lesson type commercials for the Golf Channel. But what I find, and um, I think Kobe was a little different story, but I guess the ultimate question here and what will Tuttle say is, do we really need to know this much about people? Like, uh, I think the Alex Smith story was a good one, right? So everybody oh, saw man. Alex Smith's leg on television and then he went to the hospital and he, his family got some privacy and, you know, he got to work his way back. And, you know, when he started meeting the soldiers and the war veterans that had been, been through some of the same kind of things and, you know, he, he, you know, they started filming it and that became a story because of where he came from. But you know, I don't think we need to know that like Tiger's tibia poked out of his skin and he was extricated right out of the windshield and all this stuff. I mean, I just don't, I feel similar to what I said before about somebody talking about contracts. I feel like it's a little bit titillating, a little bit, ex, ex, um, you know, it's a little too much. And maybe you have a, a um, I don't know, a, a counterpoint, which I'd be fine to hear. I just feel like, you know, how do we give people privacy, especially when they're one of the most famous people on the planet when, you know, all he did was get in a car accident, you know, and then I heard it from friends like, oh, he was hammered. He must have been hammered or on pain pills or like we just we rushed a judge and then we're trying to add all yeah. that in. Um, there was another story that came out recently, too, where they said, oh, with the death of Vincent Jackson, I'm sure somebody you met in your oh, days man. in San Diego, Vincent Jackson, Damn, the great yeah. dude. And I didn't mean to tie this into the Tiger Woods, but it's like, they, everybody wants to know. And so then it came out that, Hey, you know, he was recovering, you know, he was an alcoholic and that's why he spent yeah. time away from his family. And the family had to say, none of this is true. Like the autopsy hasn't been done. Nobody knows any of this. Like, let's just wait for the news and then we can report the news. And I, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I just thought, man, <laughs> yes, you and I both text each other. Hey, Tiger Woods got in a car wreck. Wow. Like I hope he's okay. But we don't mm -hmm. need to know that his left ankle shattered and his right tibia poked through the skin and that he uh, was coherent and talking. And like, do we really need to know all this information? That's the question. And that's what the topic mm -hmm. of Waddle Tuttle say. No, I think it, you you touched on a bunch of stuff that probably, I mean, that kind of, yeah, it didn't set me off, but it really made me think. And one of the things I think we're finding out in media today is that people are worried about being first and not right. So yeah. they want to get clicked on. They want to have the first article. So that's to your point of, you know, everybody speculating, did he do drug? You know, that, my first thought when he crashed was, please, dear God, don't let it be, uh, you know, substance abuse, drinking, yeah. whatever. I was just like, because I know he just had back surgery and I'm going, oh, geez, you know, if he took a yeah. pill and he was trying to get by. So, there, I mean, so hopefully that is not the case. I mean, all the preliminary reports say it's not, but yeah. Um, getting to the back to the point you're saying, why do we need to know all that? There was an interesting article that I read. I can't remember where the hell it was with Yard Barker or something like that. But, you know, they asked the, you know, one of the officers on scene, you know, what what happened? And the guy was like, yeah, you know, he, he fractured his right leg pretty, pretty severely. And what I thought was interesting is what he said next. He goes, this is a common injury in this kind of accident. And it makes sense because when you're driving here in America, in the States, you're pushing the gas pedal with your right foot. So it's closest to the impact zone when you, when you get in that front end uh, collision. 
And he said, this happens in, you know, I don't know what the number was, but let's just say 90% of the crashes that we see. So that tells you that there are 90, 89 other percent that we don't talk about. We don't care if, the, if their right tibia was sticking, you know, in, through yeah. the floorboard after coming through a skin, you know, and I think it's because, and this is why I'm going to tell you that people want to know this is because when I, when I blew it earlier and uh, teased this, I said that he is a global superstar. Yeah. So, and he's transcendent. He, he's an African-American golfer that dominated. He's the best golfer to have ever played the game. Arguably, I think he's the best ever, but he, he was somebody that we let into our living room. He was somebody we lived vicariously through because he, he, he exuded excellence. And then we saw him fall. We, when we saw him fall, we went, okay, that dude's human. That guy has either had the thought or acted on a thought that maybe I had or did something that I would, you know, I could see myself doing. And all of a sudden it became relatable. And now instead of being a guy that was in my living room, he's a guy that I would stand next to. And that's where all of a sudden he became. And then he fought his way back, gained the respect, you know, went through divorce, took care of his kids, won another major championship. And all of a sudden we were like, Tiger, Tiger's back and he's mine. And that's, that's, I think, where, you know, people want to give that information or know that information. But the problem is, like you're saying, is the media digs for the information they want to be the one yeah. that said oh he shattered his ankle he's never coming you know stuff like that yeah. so it's just you know what thought. that's a great point and that's something that i had not thought about and i really like that perspective which is you know when people seem untouchable um you know it's like a story you read or you know it's like reading about a mythical mm -hmm. person or a mythical creature or a mythical kind of something to aspire to. And I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because when people talk about Michael Jordan as the greatest ever because he won six championships and he dominated, um, I'm not the first one to make this point, but a lot of people ask about, and I think we've talked about a little bit, like somebody like LeBron that takes three different teams over the course of like 12 years in a row to the finals. I mean, yeah, he lost a lot of those, but he's like a one-man show. Like, you know, that's that Tom Brady argument. I mean, dude, he's mm -hmm. been to 10 Super Bowls in 20 years or 21 years. Like you forget about those years. So when they have an off year, they lose some players or, you know, there's all these other variables. How much credit do, do the icons get? And I think your point is mm -hmm. like Tiger Wood was untouchable. And the <clears throat> fact that, you know, he had an affair and he got a divorce. It's like, hey, I can relate to that. You know, I had an affair. I got a divorce or, you know, or we saw him struggle with his golf game. Right? I have a bad back and he's hitting the ball in the trees. It's like, Oh my God, he hits balls in the tree. Like you said, there, whatever yeah, it is that exactly. makes it relatable. And now all of a sudden we want to know. Um, I think that's a little um, off the path of why, you know, like you said, you have the social media and the media of everybody wanting to be first instead of right. And then you have the, you know, the component of bringing them into our lives and hopefully keeping them there and saying, you know, tigers ours. But I, I just, I just, you know, every five minutes hearing, you know, all right, he's out of surgery. Okay. I mean, it was good to know that he was okay, uh, that he broke a leg and that they weren't life-threatening injuries. Like I, for me, that was enough. And maybe it's just me. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I just, that was great to hear that he was okay, as you said. And, and we will hear plenty more about this. I mean, that's their thing is like, we'll know when he's okay. And when he gets released from the hospital and all that, it'll be, it'll be good news. But, uh, mm -hmm. You know, the Kobe thing I felt like was different too. And they did get some stuff wrong there, but that, that was a tragedy. And that's something that's a little more, you don't really care about the details, you know, in, in no. essence. So I just wanted I just, to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. So the, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got for what I'll tell say. I do appreciate this, the perspective Blummer. I mean, we don't always see eye to eye uh, on these things. And I really liked it. I, I felt like that's a, that actually makes a lot of sense where, you know, he was untouchable for a long, long time. And now we feel like he's human and he's one of us. I mean, even as bad as what he did was, I mean, you kind of go, okay, he's, he's got, you know, there's something, there's somebody inside that thing that it's actually, there's humanity. Um, but it, in this, in this day and age, and the, you know, what I just said at the end is, and it's a great topic. And I, I'm just going to tease this for a later podcast because it, it, we could go on this. I would imagine for a while is, I don't want him to die. <laughs> and it's selfish of me because we've gone through so much shit in the last year of people passing away and all these bad situations, whether it be COVID, old age, cancer, we've lost legends from Eddie Van Halen to Hank Aaron and then Kobe Bryant. And it's almost the anniversary. And you're like, 
good Lord, how much more can we take? I mean, not that we need these people in our lives, but they do give us some semblance of what, what's normal or what's good. And, and you mentioned LeBron, you mentioned Tom Brady. We talk about Mike Trout. I mean, are those, here's the question that I'm going to pose just for a later date. Are they, are those guys the last of the transcendent athletes that we know of? Are, you know, who's going to, cause those guys are epically, unbelievably great that everybody will be measuring against for years. And I'm not, you know, is Tatis Jr. going to be that guy? Is he going to be the next Mike Trout? I think it's kind of an interesting uh, conversation. It's a great, it's a great thought. And I feel like if we could see it coming, we would have said, you know, I mean, I guess LeBron was drafted high. So was Trout. But I remember, um, you know, Bryce Harper, when he mm-hmm. was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 or 17. Um, and he, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's panned out. I mean, for a kid that's had that yeah. much kind of, like you take him on your team, that's middle of the order. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a right. stud. So I, I think that next guy is around the corner, but you know, like you said, this would be a topic for another podcast. And I, I feel like it's a, it's a great thought, but I kind of feel like those guys are probably right in front of us. You know, those guys, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, it's that guy. Or, Oh, remember that? that guy. Yeah. When we thought it was, Oh yeah, Tatis, but it wasn't Tatis. It was this guy on his team, <laughs> you know? And I always feel like in this, I, my, I don't know why I haven't even met the guy. I mean, I know he's local. Um, I went up to a soccer game a couple weekends ago and we made a right turn in Lake Forest on Nolan Arenado drive. Um, he's not underrated, but man, dude, that dude, I, I just feel like, I mean, some guys get more credit than others for doing the same thing. If not a little bit less, right. There's that hype train that goes along with stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I was starting a team, I mean, aside from pitching and, and defense, I mean, I, that guy's, a, he's up there with, trout and tatis and all those guys for me for me i'm just saying so another topic for another time blummer i think you have something for blum's blast and uh and i can't wait to hear it now you need a t-shirt to hold up so that we can you know so that we can get on the i know right because i've got all i've got is my name on the podcast here's what i got i got what'll tuttle say and then this is what (laughs) blum's blast says right there that's a blum yeah crickets I'm kidding (laughs) yeah it's it's gonna have to do with what you see behind and the numbers it's a numbers game. And uh, Carson Wentz, where, oh man, I can't remember. He went to Indianapolis, I think, right? Because yep. uh, they've got Indianapolis Colts, baby. Yep. Pittman, yeah. And they got the, the um, maybe one of the gurus, Frank Reich, one of the quarterback oh, yeah. gurus. He was really good down in San Diego as an offensive coordinator. But uh, the interesting thing yeah. is, is Wentz was number 11 in uh, Philadelphia. Moving to Indianapolis, uh, Michael Pittman Jr., I think is his name, is – uh, young wideout who is very good and uh, will be receiving quite a few passes from Carson Wentz. Where's the number 11? And it came out that, he, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm not giving up my number for Carson Wentz. And part of me was like, yeah, so what? It's Carson Wentz. You know? <laughs> but at the same time, if it was, you know, uh, if it was uh, Philip Rivers who went from San Diego with the, with the number 17, Went to Indianapolis last year and played for them, wore number 17. I, I get that. You give the savvy veteran, pro bowler, you know, whatever guy, you, you give him your number. You're like, okay, here you go, Mr. Mr. Rivers. But uh, Carson Wentz hasn't gained that respect. And I wanted to ask you, how do you feel overall about guys giving up their numbers for somebody who's been traded or signed as a free agent on your team? And if you, first of all, how do you feel about it? And are there levels to it? You know, of course there are. I mean, both you and I grew up in a locker room. There are levels. But what I, what I, I similar to what you said, uh, and you said another player said this, I guess, in the green room, but, you know, that, that he's going to be feeding you, right? He's the quarterback that's going to be throwing Yeah, there was you, another but... wide receiver out there that commented on Twitter. is like, be careful, dude. He's going to be the one that's going to be putting, you know, food on your table. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., he's been around the game. His dad was a uh, NFL uh, running back, uh, I believe, way back when with the running uh, with the Buccaneers for sure. And um, and, you know, I'm sure he has his reasons for not giving up his number. I don't feel as strongly as you do, like, hey, Wentz hasn't done anything. I actually have talked about this on the podcast. I feel like the situation has a lot to do with it in the yeah. sense that who the GM is and who the coach is and the confidence I looked at Carson Wentz's numbers today in an article on The Athletic, and his sophomore year, 
his second year in the league and in the NFL, his QBR rating was like 74, which was number two in the league. That's the year he got hurt. That's the year they went to the Super Bowl. And I feel like he gets underrated for not winning that Super Bowl. They give all the credit to Nick Foles, as was proven by the mm-hmm. fact that he uh, Nick Foles got uh, a ton of money to go uh, to the Bears <laughs> and Jacksonville and wherever else he went. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, he's the quarterback. I mean, he's, that's mm-hmm. the guy that makes the team go. Um, I don't think it's a question of seniority or anything like that. It's just really a question of teammates and each situation would make that different. What I did say, and what I do think is if I'm Carson Wentz and I wore number 11 at North, uh, North Dakota state and won the national championship for two, I would want to just burn the Jersey. Anyway, I'd burn my number 11 Jersey. I'd burn the Philadelphia one and I'll take any number, um, you know, on the, on the other, uh, on the number scale that uh, doesn't remind me of where I came from or the struggles that I've had. So I do think that Carson Wentz can be re- revitalized and maybe that's something that's different from other people and other scouts. The dude is, you know, if he does what he did with confidence, I think, uh, I think he's, he's, he's the guy. So I, I don't know if that answers your question in terms of should Michael Pittman give up the number or not. Mm-hmm. If I were Carson Wentz personally, um, I think that's that's the route I'd go as I'd start anew. But when we talk about the jerseys on your back wall there, I see 27, 27, 50. <laughs> so I know you have a story tied to numbers and maybe you have some more insight on the hierarchy and how it should go. Yeah, I've, I've, I've only heard stories about guys getting their numbers, you know, but it's always been that situation where the guy who, you know, if a big free agent signs a huge contract and comes into the clubhouse, the guy who's wearing that guy's numbers, like, all right. I'm going to get that new Rolex, you know, if it gives you that new Rolex, I'll give him my Jersey number. Somehow they buy it off from him. It's, it turns into like almost a ritual sometimes, but uh, I was, I was very lucky. The reason number 50 is up there is because that's my rookie Jersey from the Montreal Expos. When I was in spring training in 1999, I had number 83. So I was a wide receiver in spring training. And when I got called up uh, 1999, the first Jersey I wore was number 50. So I, I graduated the linebacker. I thought it was pretty badass. But uh, uh, the next year, Shane Andrews, I was a tight end, wide receiver. Were you? Do you have the big number two, like you know, offensive I got, lineman? I, I got number eighty-seven. Yeah, I got number eighty-seven for a week or two, and that nice. was it. And didn't get to keep yeah. it. Yeah, that's the way. It um, but I didn't. I changed my number to eleven in the year two thousand because they traded Shane Andrews to the Chicago Cubs. That number opened up, and it got me off the number fifty. And Vladimir Guerrero was wearing number 27 in Montreal. So I wasn't going to take it from that dude. I uh, get traded to Houston. <laughs> come and, on, uh, Vladdy. That's when you should have given him the Rolex. <laughs> like, come on, man. Uh, so I get traded to Houston and Brad Osmus is wearing number 11. Now it doesn't work in reverse. And this is where that hierarchy kind of comes into play where like the veteran all-star catcher keeps his number and doesn't give it to the guy who wore number 11 uh, for, you know, his first three seasons in the big leagues. And uh, I had number six, which was the number of the guy I got traded for, Chris Truby. So I hated, I hated single digit numbers. So I went through spring training and I was just like, dude, I got to change my number. I'm asking, you know, this and that. And believe it or not, CJ Nikowski gets released in that spring training. And it was number 27. And I was like, hey, equipment guy. I went over to the equipment guy. I had a like a six pack and a hundred dollar bill. And I was like, Hey, can I get a, can I get a new number? And he's like, what do you want? I said, number 27 and boom, it happened. And uh, the reason I wear number 27 is because I got married on January 27th. So that kind of worked. And also because I was just a huge Vladdy fan. I was like, dude, if I can wear number 27, uh, I'll be just as good. It didn't work out, but it looked cool. Um, but one of the coolest things that happened to me in my big league career, when I really felt like, okay, I, I've, I've made an impression around the league, I guess, is when I got, uh, so I got traded to Tampa Bay, released by Tampa Bay, and I signed as a free agent with the San Diego Padres, the jersey right behind me, and I, you know, I'm talking to people, and I'm signing contracts, and I'm showing up in spring training, and I was just happy to be a Padre at the time. I showed up and guess what number was hanging in my locker? Number 27. And I was like, good Lord, this is awesome. And I get traded uh, that year, obviously, to that team. I'll keep them in the, in the fringe over there, the uh, Chicago White Sox. And guess what happens? I get traded to this team, middle of the season. Guess what? I show up in my locker. Guess what? Number 27 is hanging in my locker. 
uh, go come back to the Houston Astros. They give me number 27 again. I sign as a free agent with uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Show up in spring training. Guess what? Number 27. And that's where I really kind of, I mean, I don't, you know, it's like a humble brag or whatever it was, but I really felt like, okay, I've, I've established myself as, as a guy that can, you know, garners enough respect to get his number. But uh, that's just a little bit of my story. What was your favorite number when you were playing Tuttle? Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I want to, I would make a comment before I tell you that. And it's so funny because, um, yeah, I mean, in the minor leagues, you don't care. You don't even get a choice, but uh, you won't typically, you don't. I mean, you can, <laughs> but you, you get called up and down and guys have your team. You can't come down from AAA to AA and go, Hey brother, give me my Jersey. They kind of give you what they got. But, uh, <laughs> but what I was going to say is maybe it was like a little more fortuitous than that for you. I mean, you know, obviously a hall of famer didn't have it uh, wearing yeah, it in front of you, but it would have been funny if, Vladdy Guerrero gave you 27 uh, when you were with Montreal and you gave him 11 and Vladdy oh, went into the, the hall of fame. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I like number 27, but Blummer really liked it better. So I decided to wear 11 and look, I'm in the hall of fame. Like, you know, if the reverse story was true, it yeah, might've been really true. funny. That would have um, been really funny. Yeah, no, I think it's cool. You definitely had established yourself. They probably do it based on seniority. The, the thing that stood out there to me was, you know, you don't, I mean, I should have thought of this. Like, you don't go up to Bochi or, you know, or uh, Ozzy Gein and be like, hey, I'm switching my number from six to 27. Like, it's a six pack and a $100 bill and the clubby. I mean, mm-hmm. the manager doesn't care. Nobody cares. And it's up to the PR department yeah, to get it true. all right. But it, it's just it's the ones such that get a most simple mad. decision when it could affect like the whole media guide and the roster. Wow. I mean, you got to know yep. when to do it. But I just think that's so hilarious. It's basically like, hey, Mike, clubby here's a hundred bucks and a six pack of beer. What can you do for me? He's like, here's your number. You don't, the man, like nobody has to get involved. There's no right? protocol to it. Yeah. The general manager calling down like, what the hell? Blummer's not allowed Who's to this 27 guy? Already... Yeah. Anyway, I just think that part, that's what st- stands out for me. So um, as a pitcher, I almost feel like um, numbers similar to the NFL where receivers have to wear this, you know, either, you know, teens or eighties mm-hmm. uh, running backs have to wear twos or threes. Uh, or fours, I think is the other, you know, like they all have yeah. their categories. I feel like pitchers in that same, cat, like you can't have a single digit pitcher, like Ottavino, give me a break, dude, with zero. I know <laughs> O is in your name and you want to have a low ERA, but dude, you got to have two numbers on your back. If you're a pitcher, that's just me. You know, I think yeah. middle infielders, they could have like single digits if they want sometimes catchers, mm-hmm. but anyway, that always cracked me up. So I liked the numbers in the twenties when I was playing. I think on Team USA, they gave me 30, and I stuck with that all summer. But okay. uh, I like I always had 20s, something like that. I never had 27, but I liked 23, 25. I think I had 29 at one time. 21 is a cool number. So, there, I, you know, I just always felt like I should have double digits. But, yeah. uh, you know, I told That's, you this in the green room. My, my new favorite number is 13. If I had – I didn't want to be Turk Wendell, but if I had made the big leagues and I established myself, <laughs> I could have worn 13. That would have been my – that would have been my uh, my good luck charm, I guess. But oh, uh, the numbers are funny because there are there's I never had that number when I was in high school. Like football, I wore number nine. I love number nine. That was my favorite number. Baseball oh, wow. and football, I wore number nine. Okay. But uh, you know, then I realized it wasn't the number, right? You just kind of move on. Yeah. But I think I think the you know, the I, minor leagues, like you were talking about, teach you that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, save save your number until you can actually request a jersey, man, because. Okay. Up until that point, you're like, put it on me, let's go. Yeah, when I went to big league camp with the Diamondbacks, I was thinking, man, could I call the clubby and just get the jersey? I'd like to keep it as my only big league jersey. If oh, I was like number 87 nice. or number 89, I'm like, no. I mean, they're like, no, these are the, you know, I mean. They're like the throwaway we, numbers. You're like, no, it's not throwaway. Eight, I'd like to ha- give it to me. That's right. We're going to have eight dudes wearing this number this year. So yeah. I think it's pretty good indication what the club thinks of you going into spring training. That doesn't mean that you can't change their opinion. But, you know, 50 was like, all right, 50 is a number where that guy can make the club. You know, that was your yeah. first big league spring training. Like, I, he can make the club. You get into the 70s and 80s, you're probably going to go to AAA to start the year. That doesn't mean you won't get called up. 50 is like, hey, you're in the mix. So, anyway, yeah. but uh, the, the numbers are, I forgot what an integral part of sport they were. But as you said, being oh, in man. the minor leagues and being in, you know, professional sports in general you realize that that's just kind of a byproduct, right? Like, yeah, you know, you don't turn down a big league offer because somebody won't give your number. And back to the Carson Wentz thing, like I said, if I were him and I'm looking for a new start and I'm on a new team and I want to 
be a one of the guys and be you know kind of uh accepted it, I, I'll, I'll wear whatever number you want because i've got to reestablish myself and we're gonna have a you know we're here for a new start that would actually go a very long way inside that clubhouse it's a that's a great idea I, I like it and maybe that does work out for him but uh good getting back with you dude I mean, it's been a while, man. It's just like yeah. riding a bike, dude. It is. It's so good to be with you, Blummer, and I'm glad you and the family are safe. And uh, and in general, that's why I wore the Crush City today, man. Houston, Texas. You are actually in everybody's thoughts uh, all over, all over the, uh, all over the country. And it's you know, we can talk about climate change. We can do all that stuff. I mean, who knows what these weather patterns are uh, yeah. doing to the world? But man, what a what a weird kind of obviously week for you guys or two weeks. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So glad to be back with you. We thought about Houston uh, deeply, as we always think about our first responders, Army, military, uh, frontline workers. I read a really positive article this week about how the summer should be a fantastic summer because we should be, you know, outdoors. The weather should be good, but the vaccine is taking hold. Yes, so yes, um, that with somebody you. was listening to the Metallica that you asked them to listen to because I think the vaccines are starting to uh, starting. Dude, to, I'm telling uh, you, man. Yep. Yeah, starting it, to uh, work at least wonders. take hold and, and work. So let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's keep the positive vibes going and uh, we'll look forward to getting together with you next week, Blummer. Absolutely. Positive vibes are what we're all about. And again, we want to thank all of the uh, frontline workers, all the essential workers. Uh, every, how about you? Now I'm in the utility people who go out there and fix uh, electronic grids and, and fix pipes and things like that. Or, you know, I was so grateful to have my trash picked up the other day. I wanted to chase the guys down and high five them as they're going past me on the street. Uh, so I'm grateful for everybody out there that actually allows us to be a functioning society, however erratic that can be, just like the weather. But uh, everybody in military, all the first responders, we are greatly appreciative of you. And we hope that everybody is happy and healthy. And I, and as a Houstonian now, I do appreciate the fact that you did say that you were thinking about us because there are moments where you get kind of, you know, oh, who the idiots live in that 120 degree weather and sweating their brains out. But uh, it is very gracious of everybody to have their thoughts out there. And I hope that everybody that's listening to this podcast, uh, you know, is enjoying the banter because we do it for fun and we do it to uh, provide a little bit of distraction when things aren't as good as they can be. But uh, good, good being on with you again. Tuttle, why don't you take us out of here, dude? Yeah, all right. And you know, if you listen to this podcast, uh, we always encourage you folks to get after it and believe it. <laughs>